The Adrian Autry era of Syracuse basketball starts with a victory. Syracuse, 83-72 to 72 win over New Hampshire. It was not always safe. They were up by 23. It got cut down to six. So today we take a look at the macro, right? What did we just watch? What did we learn in game one? And what do we still need to figure out two days from now when Syracuse takes on Canisius on Wednesday evening? It's your Lockdown Syracuse Tuesday episode. It's your first basketball post game of the year. Let's have some fun. Let's get the ball rolling. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? What's happening? Welcome into your Lockdown Syracuse Tuesday episode. It's your boy OV saying thank you so much for making Lockdown Syracuse your first listen today and every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. And today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Basketball is back and let me tell you it could not have come at a better time i am sick of syracuse football i don't want to talk about it i don't want to think about it i don't even want to see it on a twitter page that's how angry i am with it at this point in time it is basketball season it is a new era of syracuse basketball and red autry gets out to a one and zero start right i don't want to talk about the things that everyone will be talking about right this is the first time in my lifetime that jim Beheim wasn't the head coach of syracuse basketball it's the first time in my lifetime that you know someone else is at the helm here it's a new era it's a new system it's a new scheme uh and that's what we saw today it was kind of funny uh you saw instead of the the classic bruce springsteen Glory days, born to run, Rosalita every once in a while. As Jim Beheim is coming out of the tunnel pregame, we got a new a new wave, a new genre. We got I got the keys coming out for Adrian Autry, a really fun start. I don't know if that's going to be you know the everyday song for him, but definitely a fun one to start things off. This is his program now. He's got the keys to the castle, and what happens, good, bad, ugly, is on his shoulders. And so we talked this game today. Syracuse got out to an absolutely electric start. They were clogging passing lanes. The man-to-man defense was swarming. They were getting out in transition, pushing the pace. They scored 11 of their first 21 on fast breaks, getting steals, getting out and moving. And this team, you thought, okay, holy hell, this is a squad that you don't want to see. This is going to be one of those games where we think back about those dominant, dominant, blowout victories in a non-conference play. Syracuse got up by as many as 23 in the first half. And then about 10 minutes into the game, they sort of got cold and the energy dwindled. And that spark that was there, right, where you had nine different guys score in your first 10 minutes of basketball, things started to slow down. And Syracuse got caught in the half court a lot. And then they started to force things. And they continued to try and force things, tried to force some passes, tried to force some ill-advised, very difficult shots. And it allowed New Hampshire to get back into this basketball game. And they cut the lead down to six. And there was a point where you're like, okay, this is not the start that we thought we were witnessing maybe a half hour 
or 45 minutes ago, right? We thought this was going to be a blowout. We thought this was going to be, you know, the picture-perfect start to Red Autry at Syracuse. And then things got a little bit closer, and Autry had to make some coaching decisions, right? Judah Mintz picks up his fourth foul. How long do you keep him out in what is a 10-point game hovering back from like 9 to 12 to 11 to 10, right in that range for an extended period of the second half? When do you put Judah back in? And one of the biggest coaching decisions comes with with a gigantic spoonful of irony that Autry was very, very happy to joke about in his postgame press conference. The biggest change he made was a switch to the 2-3 zone. And Syracuse played uh, that, that story defense that Jim Beheim uh, lived and died by uh, towards the end of his career. And it was the, the change that he didn't make. And, and one of the biggest kryptonites to the close of the Jim Beheim era. And it ends up being a relative successor for Adrian Autry in this first game. A couple of big takeaways I want to talk about. We take a quick glimpse at the box score. Uh, J- Judiments foul trouble, right? Picked up his fourth foul with 18 or just 18 minutes of play. Uh, it was 17.07 on the clock when he picked up his fourth. Uh, we'll get into Judah in a second. Put up 20, not the most efficient I've ever seen. Justin Taylor, uh, 14 points, five of nine from the field, two for three from the three-point uh, from beyond the arc. That's what you want to see. Glad to see him with that spark. Did have four turnovers. Can't look away from that. Uh, Quidir Copeland with a double-double on this one. 10 points, 13 rebounds. Also struggled to take care of the basketball. That's another point uh, that we need to talk about a little bit, the sort of duality of Quidir Copeland. He will do something incredible that you love to see and is really exciting and really fun. And like, Quidir Copeland, let's go. That's my boy. We're excited. Give him all the minutes in the world. And then he comes down and he's like, let me put the ball on the floor and not look up. And then I'm going to try and pick the ball up when it's too late and turn the ball over. He got bailed out once or twice. A very generous block call and transition. Uh, a turnover a couple of possessions later, right? You got to take care of better care of the ball uh, if you're Cody or Copeland. I will say very impressed with him crashing the boards, getting after it in that regard. Malik Brown into double figure scoring. J.J. Starling, double figure scoring. Uh, I will say this, right, when you look at the the one-two punch, that very, very store, not storied yet, but highly anticipated backcourt for Syracuse of J.J. Starling and Judah Mintz, a combined 8 of 28 from the field. Not the efficient start that you were looking for out of them. I will say, got to the line a combined 15 times, uh, which is important, right? These are two guys that are going to get to the rim and try and drive and draw fouls. And they are a nightmare for defenses because of how effectively they can put the ball on the floor, drive, uh, and finish through contact, or at least draw that contact and get to the line. That is something that contributes to some inefficiency, is that physicality, that drive, those contested lay-ins that they are pretty good at, but the efficiency you'd like to see step up. I want to start today, and then we'll – We'll talk about what we learned in game one and what remains up in the air. I want to talk about Judah Mintz for a few minutes to open this episode. I was over the top excited to learn that he was coming back. As I think everyone in the Syracuse fan base was, right? You want a guy like this back for year two. My expectations for him, tremendously high. And with tremendously high expectations comes a magnifying glass at the game of basketball that you play night in and night out. 
Judah Mintz left a lot more to be desired tonight than I wanted to have to talk about in our first post-game show of the season. The inefficiency, right? Five of 15, 33% from the field, one of four from three. His defense was atrocious at many instances, seemed lackadaisical, uh, seemed like he was not being the presence that you wanted him to be. Uh, I forget who said this on Twitter, but it's spot on, relied on his hands defensively a lot more than he relied on his feet. And your feet are going to lead to the steals and your feet are going to lead to you getting out in transition. Your hands are just the means to doing it, right? That is what you're catching the ball with, but you've got to be moving the feet. And that wasn't there. Uh, I want to see him distribute the ball a little bit better than he did. He had three assists relatively early. uh, And then I don't think he distributed the ball very well. It seemed like uh, he was forcing a little bit. Uh, It seemed like he was pushing things when they didn't need to be pushed. Uh, And it seemed like, and I know Judah can make the crazy, uh, contested, incredibly difficult shot. But that doesn't need to be the shot that you take every time. Right. Eric Diefendorf on the broadcast tonight was talking about it. I felt like every time Judah took a shot, Diefendorf said something about how difficult of a shot that was. Judah Mintz, in being an NBA caliber talent, in being one of the top returning sophomores in college basketball, you should be able to find easy shots more than you're finding the ill-advised, very difficult circus shots. Right? You can take those occasionally because you are more efficient than most at them. But you've got to find the efficiency in the simple. You've got to find the efficiency in what is being given to you and not trying to force more. And I think that comes with more ball movement. I think that comes with a little bit more fluidity in a half-court offense, which we will talk about in a second. I want to see so much out of Judah Mintz every time he hits the floor. He picked up four fouls in 18 minutes tonight. Right, you got to be smart on defense. You've got to be in man-to-man defense, right? I know you want to take shots. I know you want to go for those big plays, get the ball, uh, and get out in transition, right? That's where you get your highlights. That's where you're going to pad some stats, easy points, easy buckets. But it cannot come at the expense of the defense as a whole. And I felt like that happened far too many times tonight, and it got him into foul trouble as well. Let's take a quick break. Let's talk a little bit about FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, score early this NFL season with FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the nfl all right owen valentine and lockdown syracuse tuesday episode your first post game show of the season syracuse with an 83 72 victory over new hampshire uh let's talk a little bit about what we learned in this game and then we can get into a little bit of what remains up in the air let's start with what i think we learned and what i think we know right now after game one and i'm going to be honest with you it's not an extensive list right now. It's a pretty brief list. Uh, and, and there isn't a ton that I have listed right now. But I do think uh, that we should lead with what we know. This team is fast and athletic, and they can get out and move. That is 100% something that we learned tonight, 
right? We talked about it, we anticipated it, and we saw it many, many times this evening. 30, uh, not 30, 22 fast break points, not as many in the second half. I believe Syracuse had 16 points uh, via the fast break in the first half, six in the second half. This team can get out and move. They can take advantage of athleticism. And that is going to be one of the driving factors of this offense. And one of the things that it wants to do is get out and run. And this is going to get into a second thing that we know is that this team has the ability to play smaller, right? With the forward depth that you have, with some guard depth that you have. Uh, this is a team that can play that smaller lineup. And in that smaller lineup, and this was something talked about on the broadcast, something that you can observe instantly, you get the ability to get out and move far more efficiently because so many different players can come down with a rebound and outlet or can be the outlet or just put the ball on the floor and get out and run themselves. You get a steal. You can get out and move, right? You don't necessarily need to find that outlet. If you do, you've got options, right? You can outlet to Starling. You can outlet to Mitz. You can outlet to almost anyone in that small ball lineup and be efficient. One of Malik Brown's strongest assets in my mind is his transition offense, right? Getting out and moving uh, and finishing in transition and getting out uh, and filling the lanes correctly when you're getting out and moving. Whoever comes down with a ball can get out and move. And that is something that we know about this team. The depth is another thing that we know. It was alluded to preseason by Coach Autry that this is a team that's got some depth. This is a team that's going to have, you know, eight, nine, ten different guys play. We did not see Monier Hima play today. We did not see Benny Williams play today. Uh, right? That's two more guys that you could see in the mix. And you had nine guys play and nine guys score in this basketball game. Uh, most minutes today was J.J. Starling at 35. Fewest minutes uh, was Peter Carey with six first-half minutes. Did score on a nice little lob ball uh, to get on the board and have Syracuse go nine for nine in terms of players that score. Another thing that we know is that this is a young team, right? We look at the roster today or the players that played today. Naheem McLeod is a junior, first year at Syracuse. J.J. Starling. Sophomore, first year at Syracuse. Judah Mintz, sophomore, year two at Syracuse. Chris Bell, sophomore. Justin Taylor, sophomore. Kyle Cuff, right? Sophomore, right? These are young, young players. Malik Brown, sophomore. Peter Carey, sophomore. Quidier Copeland, sophomore, right? You get the picture. It's a young team. And sometimes that shows. You don't have the leader present in terms of extended years, you don't have that senior presence where someone who's played 80, 90, 100 games at Syracuse. You've got guys with relative experience, but you don't have that true, true leader, veteran presence yet. Can some of these guys develop into leaders? No doubt about it. But right now you don't have the veteran presence. And I think in a game like tonight, when you're playing against a UNH team that has nothing to lose uh, and is playing that sort of once-in-a-lifetime game in the Dome, if you're UNH, you need that veteran presence that can calm things down, that can control the pace, that can facilitate an offense, because that is one of the things that I thought held Syracuse back. The last thing that I'm going to say that I know right now is not a quote from me. It is a quote from Coach Autry post-game. He said, one thing I know about this team is that I love this team and they can compete. 
And that's where we'll leave that portion of this conversation off, right? This is a team that can compete. It's a team that wants to grind. It's a team that wants to have some fun. And I think it is a high energy team that we are going to grow to know and love. All right. So that's what we know. What is up in the air? Because after tonight, there's a lot more up in the air than I had anticipated being the case, right? Some things that I thought I might have known are, are on the list of question marks right now. Uh, and I don't know uh, when the answers to these questions will come. Uh, but the first thing that I don't know and is still up in the air is this team and the three-point shooting. It was a concern last season. Joe Girard departs from the program via the transfer portal, lands at Clemson. He was the three-point shooting of this team. Benny Williams shot 40% from three last year. Benny Williams is suspended. Your three-point shooting has some question marks next to it. Chris Bell was okay in some games. Justin Taylor, okay in some games last year. Syracuse was 5 of 21 from deep. Starling 0 for 4. Mintz 1 for 4. Bell 1 for 5. Cuff 1 for 3. Copeland 0 for 2. Justin Taylor, the only one uh, north of 50% or with just a reputable three-point percentage in general, uh, going two for three. This team is going to struggle if they struggle from three as badly as they did today, right? And I know this isn't a squad that is going to have that, that volume shooter that can put up six, seven, eight threes a game in terms of attempts and make three or four of them. They might have guys that think – they're in that position and thinking that you can do that is a positive to getting to that point. I think Chris Bell thinks that that could be his role. Uh, I need to see him become more efficient for that to actually be his role. Uh, but you have a number of guys that are going to take three or four threes a game and they're going to be the open threes and you want them to be the open ones and not the forced ones uh, and not the heat check big time deep threes, right? You've got, I'm looking at this between Starling, Mintz, Bell, Taylor, Cuff, um, and Copeland. I see all six of them in that sort of two to five three-point attempts per game. Throw Benny Williams into the mix as well, right? You got six or seven guys that are going to combine for a very distributed 24 threes. Who is making them? That's what I don't know right now. That is definitely up in the air. Another thing up in the air is the defense. I talked about Judah defensively today. He's not the only one. Malik Brown did not look very solid in a half-court defense guarding the arc. Seemed a little bit lost. Uh, seemed not necessarily lost. Got beat a handful of times. Um, not something that I wanted to see out of him. Chris Bell does look lost defensively uh, a number of times. That's one of the things we talked about last season is him stepping things up like that. It is also... Uh, that and the rebounding, right? I, I want to see more defensively from this team. The man early on was really good, but you you got into some foul trouble as a result of playing man and getting a little too, I want to get that steal so I can get out in transition to make the big play. And I know that's fun and I know that's what you want, but that's not the successor, right? You've got to be smart going for the steal. You've got to be smart when you try to jump a pass, right? Understand just like there is in the NFL, just like there is uh, anywhere, there is risk that comes with trying to jump that pass. And the help defense was not sufficient enough to, to make up for it a number of times tonight. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the game time app, and then we will continue with a few more things uh, that happen to be up in the air 
uh, right now with regards to Syracuse basketball after the season opener. Uh, a big win for Coach Autry in his career opener at Syracuse. Right, that's pretty cool. Uh, we'll talk about it. We did talk about it a little bit. Uh, it's pretty cool that that's happening. Uh, let's talk a little bit about game time. All right. Tickets, buying tickets, right? How many people bought tickets for the Syracuse game tonight? How many people buying tickets for the Canisius game on Wednesday night, the Colgate game next Tuesday, right? You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to the next big event. Game time is fast and easy uh, when it comes to buying tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last minute deals, all in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guaranteed. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. There's last minute tickets, easy to find, and there's views from all seats in the venue. All in prices show your total up front, so you know you're getting a great deal without all of the hidden fees. Uh, with zone deals, you can pick the section and game time picks the seats for an average of 18% savings. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time, download the game time app, create an account, and use code Lockdown College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again. Create an account and redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-C-O-L-L-E-G-E. -E. That's Locked On College for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Okay, a couple more things that are up in the air for Syracuse basketball after game one. Syracuse escapes with a win, an 11-point victory. It was as many as 23 uh, it was as few as six uh, down the stretch-ish. Uh, but Syracuse, with an 11-point victory, they notably do not cover the spread for those of you outside of New York State that might have been interested in that. Uh, but a few things that we don't necessarily know. One of the things that I find up in the air is Naheem McLeod and what that means and what he means. He is seven foot four. He was a foot taller than anyone else on the field tonight or on the court tonight. And he didn't play much. What was his total? 10 minutes he totaled tonight. He had four points, uh, scored the first basket of the game. Nice little lefty hook uh, to open up the scoring. Got fouled in the first half, went two for two from the line. That was his contribution. Three rebounds. Uh, and then they, they went small ball with Malik Brown at the five. Uh, and that's sort of where they stayed in the two-three time uh, late in the first half. That was what they ran with. And my question is, and I saw a number of other people posing a similar question, is what is the role of Naheem McLeod? Is he a guy that's only playing when you're playing seven-footers? Is he a guy that you're going to play for the mismatch when you're playing against a team whose bigs are 6'6 six, six or 6'8, six, right, where you have an eight-inch difference in height between him and the opposing team's center, right? Where does he play? What's the role? Uh, because tonight seemed like, especially when they were struggling, maybe an opportunity where you wanted to take advantage of the fact that he uh, is that much taller than everyone else there. Uh, his height, his length are, are things that you need to use to your advantage, right? Because if, if you're playing a UNH squad and you can't find ways for McLeod to thrive, right? What does that mean come Maui in two weeks? What does that mean come ACC play? in a month and change, right? What does this mean for Naheem McLeod? We know what we got with Naheem, I think, right? He's a 7'4 guy, the tallest man in Syracuse basketball history. But what does his skill set provide outside of height? I've seen a couple of plays where the touch looks okay. Uh, I did see a play where he put the ball on the floor, right? You're 7'4", you can go like this. 
All right, let me sink down for the YouTube people. Whoop! And you've dunked the basketball, right? Don't bounce the ball. Don't dribble. Pick it up, get your rebound, and dunk the ball and run back on defense. I get they're trying to do this push, this speed. Uh, and McLeod doesn't necessarily fit that. And playing man, McLeod doesn't necessarily fit against the smaller guys he's guarding. But I'm curious, you know, what his role is and the situations where you're going to see him in the, the 20 to 30 minutes a game range and the situations where you're going to see him in this 10-ish minute range that you saw him in tonight. Two more. Uh, the second or the second to last thing that I, I believe is up in the air right now is the half-court offense. The half-court offense looked as bad as it did in the last two seasons under Jim Bayham. It was not movement. It was not fluid. It seemed forced. It was Judah at the top of the arc. Let me take two dribbles. Let me spin. Let me hit a little fadeaway. Whoop! Uh, and it doesn't always work. It was one pass and shoot. It was not the movement that you want to see to succeed, right? I wanted to see some of the things that when things were working, you were seeing. But there were a lot of stagnant possessions where it was one pass and shoot, one pass, dribble, dribble, turnover. Uh, and you needed to see things step up uh, in terms of the fluidity, in terms of the ball movement, and in terms of running an actual offense. I know your bread and butter wants to be getting out and moving and not having to run a half-court set. But you do need to. And there was a lull in this game, the middle half, right, the second half of the first half, like the last 10 of the first half, the first 10 of the second half, where you were in that sort of lull, falling into the half court and needing to run the half court set. And it didn't seem like you had much to offer there, right? I want to see improvements there. And I don't know uh, what their, their go-to is going to be in that situation. And it's another reason that the three-point shooting struggles, right? When you're moving the ball, when you've got guys rotating and switching, it's going to leave open men and open shots. And that's what's going to allow your three-point shooting to improve. Not taking contested shots, not volume threes, but moving the ball and running an offense to the point where you're leaving guys open because you've created mismatches. You've created so many switches that someone's been left in the corner. Final thing up in the air is this guy, Benny Williams, right? We, we got the news just before the final exhibition that he's been suspended for a violation of team rules. Uh, and that he'd return or rejoin the program soon. That's what we know. When's he coming back, coach? And I, I appreciate Autry putting his foot down to a veteran guy, uh, the lone veteran, right? The lone upperclassman with Syracuse experience. I appreciate him putting his foot down and saying, whatever the issue is, we're not going to stand for that. And you're not going to pull that with me. Uh, and, and I don't know what it is. And I don't want to speculate on what it is. But we don't know when he's coming back. Uh, it could be Wednesday against Canisius. It could be next Tuesday against Colgate. Could it be in Maui? Could the suspension extend to Maui? Do you use the terminology, we'll rejoin the program shortly if he's going to be gone through Maui? I don't think so. I would assume he's back, Canisius or Colgate. Um, but I don't know. And that is something that remains up in the air. What are your thoughts? What did you learn from game one? What's still up in the air for you? Uh, there's a lot to talk about still. Uh, and, you know, it's just game Wednesday, right? So the turnaround is quick. Syracuse will be right back out there. Adrian Autry looking for the 2-0 start. Can they pull it off? I hope so. All uh, right. These are the ones that you need to get, uh, especially when you're going to play two out of the three of uh, Tennessee, Gonzaga, not Gonzaga, uh, Tennessee. Yeah. 
Purdue and Gonzaga. Am I, am I missing this? I might be botching this. Don't don't do this to me. Uh, Tennessee, Purdue, Gonzaga. Yeah, why did I doubt myself so much uh, on a trio of those teams? You're playing two of the three of those, right? Need them back. Need to figure some things out. And when you got those three, you're going to want to have the easy ones under your belt. You're going to want to be 3-0 and heading into Maui uh, because there's a chance that you walk out of Maui 3-3 three and three, and it has nothing to do with you being a bad basketball team. That's the reality of how loaded this field is. That's where we'll leave it today. Uh, throw some comments if you've got them uh, on YouTube. We'd appreciate it there on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. I'll be back tomorrow talking more uh, Syracuse basketball, barring something drastic Syracuse football-wise, which the drasticness in which something I would have to cover would be Dino Babers getting fired. Uh, so outside of that, uh, we're not talking football tomorrow. We'll be talking Syracuse basketball. Until then, I'm Owen Valentine. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every day. Be kind. Make somebody smile today. And I will be back talking to you tomorrow.